America Business Channel. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Make the most of your life. When you remove the blocks that are holding you back, you can bring inspiration, passion, and purpose to yourself and those around you. This is the Hoffman Connection with your hosts, Raz and Grossi and Ed McClune. Our hosts and their guests will give you the tools that you need to improve yourself by bringing you closer to what really matters. Now, here's your host. Hello, this is Raz and Grossi. Welcome once again to the Hoffman Connection. We're coming to you live from beautiful Northern California, closing in on the holiday season here. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Ed McClune, who was a uh, Hoffman teacher and father and got all kinds of therapists, all kinds of good credentials going for him. And um, if you've never heard of Hoffman Institute, this year we are celebrating 45 years as a leading personal development program, helping people all around the world. And our byline is that when you're serious about change, Hoffman is here for you. We have 16. <laughs> yes, it does. I'm not, I haven't been here for the whole 45 years, but the Hoffman Institute has been around for 45 years. Uh, but don't worry, Stuart, we'll get to your age in just a minute. <laughs> we have, our guest is Stuart Emery. He's talking in the background there. We can't wait to get him on the air. Um, but we have Hoffman has 16 sites in 11 countries around the world, and it's uh, our signature program is called the Hoffman Process. It's an amazing eight-day retreat of personal development and discovery. Ed, do you have anything to say hello to the people? Well, yeah, and this is this is our second show with Stuart, and I can't wait to get him on the air either. Um, do want to let everyone know that we uh, do put on the Hoffman Process here in the U.S. about 30 times a year, 24 at our site in St. Helena, California, and six on the East Coast, and that we are a foundation. We uh, need support of our graduates in the community at large to help support other people attending the Hoffman Process, and this is sort of the end of our fundraising year. If you'd like to learn more about how to support the vision of the Hoffman Institute, which you'll hear some about on the show today, uh, learn about scholarships yourself for taking the course, or even learn more about all that the Hoffman Institute offers, you can go this afternoon to our website at hoffmaninstitute.org. All right, let's get the show started, Raz. Well, thanks, Ed. And with New Year's right around the corner, it's a great time to consider what is Worked for you in the past year. What you want to create in 2013, Stuart Emery. Uh, we couldn't just we couldn't have a better person with us than than Stuart Emery. I'm sure he's not only a uh, one of the fathers of the human potential movement. He's a he's written several best selling books, and uh, he's an executive coach working with executive teams at some of the top Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies in the world. And Stuart is just brilliant at having people understand what vision really means and linking it with values and strategy of 
strategies and leadership initiatives. He um, he has uh, one of his best-selling books, "Success Built to Last," was based on the readership. Uh, excuse me, on the research from the international bestsellers, "Built to Last" and "Good to Great," and. This is the most comprehensive research project ever undertaken. What makes companies great, how good companies become even better, and what are the traits of enduringly successful leaders who build those great companies. So Stuart has a lot to offer us, especially at this time of the year. Plus, I have to add, he's a member of the Hoffman Institute Advisory Council, and uh, I've benefited a lot from his advice over the years, and I've known Stuart for a long time. So welcome to the show, Stuart. Oh, I'm happy to be here, and Ed, it's uh, nice to hear your voice again, and uh, I saw your smiling photograph on the masthead for this, so uh, this is terrific. Nice yeah, to be nice connected. To be here with you, Stuart. Stuart, you know, I don't know a single person who doesn't want to live a life that's filled with joy, peace, and, and, and a feeling that my life really matters, and yet so many of us struggle to find that balance, you know, just paying the bills, running our routines. How do we create a life that matters? What does that mean? Well, it's a very personal thing, but I want to take a detour. You know, I always like to do that. I, as you mentioned before, I just got back from Bali and uh, hadn't taken a vacation vacation in a, in a really long time. And I was there with uh, Jack Canfield and uh, Bobby DePorter, who I think you know, and uh, uh, Barnett Bain and Stephen Joseph. Yep. And um, well, no, it's not Stephen. Stephen was in New York. Uh, uh, but we were there together, and I was walking on the beach one morning, and... Uh, I was just thinking about the last uh, 40 years that I've been here in this country and about uh, when you and I first met Raz and about uh, the early days of Est. Yep. And uh, I was thinking in many ways that the transformational movement has become the developmental movement and we've kind of lost our way. So I want to kind of put a line in the sand about that because I see a lot of executive coaching going on, which is performance coaching. I see a lot of... uh, people trying to get better you know they've really embraced self-improvement and uh, you know I like to think the self actually doesn't need improvement it may need rehabilitation but it doesn't need improvement and I don't actually think it needs rehabilitation I think it needs revelation but I want to make the difference between developmental work and transformational work because if we look at the research uh, what we learn interviewing probably 300 of the world's most accomplished and enduringly successful people, people like Nelson Mandela, Maya Angelou, uh, people like Muhammad Yunus who won a Nobel Peace Prize for micro-lending, and then the usual suspects are Gates and Buffett and Jobs and uh, uh, let's see who else, Michael Dell, did I say that, Richard Branson. And um, so you say, well, what, what, what are they? If you've got to reduce that all down to a couple of things that they have in common, mm-hmm. uh, they all define meaning for themselves. So uh, they saw meaning as a personal resource uh, they invested in. They invested that resource, their ability to assign meaning. And to me, it takes me back to the Course of Miracles, which I think we all remember, where things have no meaning other than the meaning that you give them. And uh, for, for some of us, having to be responsible for assigning meaning to something 
Uh, it just seems that unreasonable requests, we look for an outside source to tell us what something means. We kind of got sucked into that Yogi Berra line when the ball goes whistling past when he's umpiring and the batter says, well, what's that? And Berra says, hey, it ain't nothing till I call it. And right. I think some of us are looking around to say, well, what was that? And the truth is, it ain't nothing till we ourselves call it. Um, so you're, you're pointing out that meaning is something that comes, that we assign. And the first step forward here is to recognize that you're the source of the meaning in your life. Correct. And I, and I think that's a, a big step up for a lot of folks. You know, because we, we live in a society where we are overwhelmed with pundits now. We have the Internet, so there's endless numbers of people all trying to be in the pundit business telling us what everything means. And I think it's easy to fall prey to that and just uh, abandon and abdicate personal responsibility to external sources. And um, that doesn't turn out very well at the end of the day for us personally. So where does meaning come from? So we assign meaning, but what to what do we assign meaning and what... What is intrinsically meaningful to human beings? Um, well, I mean, some things are better than others, right? Yeah, but it's very personal. Again, I remember seeing Joseph Campbell in his 83rd year, and he was dying of cancer at the time, but you would not have known that. He was being inter interviewed by Bill Moyer, who kind of sometimes doesn't get over himself. And, uh, and so they get into this thing about meaning. Uh, Campbell's talking out at Skywalker Ranch uh, about the hero's journey, which is a famous book and work that he did. And uh, Bill says, well, Joe, I mean, surely isn't what human beings want most of all out of life is some deep and profound sense of meaning. And Joe says, hey, I actually don't think so. I think what human beings actually want out of life is a greater experience of being alive while they are alive. Right. And, and I, I agree with that. Now, uh, where we're going to back up there is, Joe's talking about people involved in the search for meaning. Uh, it's like people being involved in the search for love. If we're all out there searching for love, who's left to do any of the loving? <laughs> right. Well, you know, speaking of all these uh, famous names that you've cited, I remember going back to Victor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. Correct. And he said, that, he said that meaning uh, arises spontaneously from three things. One is love. If you know that you're loved and you love others, you're, you're, you have an inherent sense of meaning. Another is that meaning comes from contributing to something that you believe is important and it's greater than you. And the third, he spoke about as uh, some, something like suffering well, because life is filled with suffering. And, and he's, he talked about suffering in a way that, uh, instead of being meaningless, had some personal connection to you and, uh, I just saw this movie a couple of weeks ago, The Life of Pi, and um, at the end of it, you know, there's two versions of the story that you can take, and the one that where he's with the tiger in the boat, and the other one that's more prosaic and just sort of ordinary people trying to survive and so on. And he asked the guy which one he prefers, and the guy says the one with the tiger and you in the boat, and he said, right. 
Uh, he said that's the only one where God is there all the time. So there's something in our ability to um, encounter the vicissitudes of life uh, uh, meaningfully that connects us to some some greater meaning, some greater force and power in the universe that uh, that also uh, confers meaning to it to it yeah. all. And I, I wouldn't disagree with anything that Frankel said. And as I listen to you say what he said. That comes back to being very personal. Exactly. One of the things that touched me deeply in Bali uh, was with the older Balinese, so I'm talking about people in their 40s and older than that. Uh, there is such divinity and sanctity in everyday life. Every morning they would get up and walk around the property giving their blessings. And there were little... Uh, temples and little shrines all over the property. And they found beauty and assigned meaning to a great variety of things. And, and perhaps not a single god is in a monotheistic system such as we're used to here in the Western world. But they were so beautiful and they served with love. I don't know if Raz would ever had the experience of having people wait on you and it makes you uncomfortable. Right. Because something off with the energy. And, and, and I, my experience in Bali was when I was served by people, it was as if we were giving them a gift in receiving their service. Wow. Uh, because it was such love, and that was what they did. That was what they invested their meaning in was to serve and to care for. And, uh, and so I think that's astonishing. That is, of course, being committed to something greater than yourself. So I see that that's true. I want to get back to the theme. We're going to take a commercial break now. I think I'm looking at the time here. That's right. We're going to go to a, we're going to go to a break, and um, and I think we've established that meaning is very personal and often is connected to, you know, is connected to the other people in the world and to service. So we're going to continue exploring this so we can enter the new year with greater fervor and meaning. And um, we'll be back in a few minutes. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McLoon, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. And welcome back to the Hoffman Connection with Raz and Grossi. I'm Ed McLoon and our guest, Stuart Emery. And Stuart, one of your gifts... One of your many gifts is being able to make a lot of the conceptual around us in terms of growth and vision, et cetera, digestible, receivable. You're such a great communicator. And during the break, we were talking about the distinction between transformational work and developmental work. And I have a pretty clear sense of what you mean by that. But let's start this segment by you making that, that uh, discernment for us. Well, if we, if we go to what does the word literally mean, transform, it means to literally transcend, go beyond, cross over the restraints or constrictions normally imposed by form. So, so in a very simple sense, it, it's the teachings of people like Frankel and then Robert Mueller, who I interviewed at the United Nations a lot of years ago, who had learned... Uh, that under even very difficult, sometimes horrendous circumstances, they had dominion over their inner experience. So back in the old days when we all started EST, you know, we used to say transformation is about your inner experience moving from anguish and negative emotions and feelings to one of peace and energy without the external circumstances changing. So I can tell a story about uh, my wife who had a very difficult relationship with her father. No need to go into the details, but it was very difficult. They were so estranged that when I first met him with Journey, she'd walk into a room, he'd walk out. It was like that. And so we talked about that over the years, and she did the Hoffman process a lot, 20 years ago. And it came to her in the Hoffman process that... uh, if she changed the energy with which she related to her father, then there was a chance for the relationship to change and that she was willing to change the energy with which she approached the father independent of any changes or not of his, in his behavior. So she just, as we would put it in Hoffman or any of these programs that we do, she just started loving him. And lo and behold, the relationship transformed. In other words, he didn't change as a personality, still the way he is. But he went from being uh, very critical and and sometimes cruel to Joni verbally to the other day I'm listening to them on the phone. She's on the speakerphone and he's telling her how much he loves her. And, And Joni would tell you that the only thing that happened was she changed how she held him, uh, allowed herself to love him. So all the changes were internal changes, and those changes on her part carried forward in her behavior. But he didn't change initially, 
In fact, for a while, he, he was more the way he used to be rather than changing. And I said, well, you've got to keep going because you start changing and people, they might say they want you to change, but they'll keep testing you. So that's what I call transformation. You know, development is if I try hard, if I get to be a better communicator, if I go out and make more money, if I become more successful, then all these good things will happen. Uh, but I think you've always got to ask, are you doing what you're doing in service of what? Uh, and that's what you find with the great people. They are in service and in service of something greater than themselves. I'm going so, to Rob Evans' wedding this week, and they've asked me to talk on something. And I found a talk I did 30 years ago at the Masonic Auditorium for New Dimensions Radio on Conscious Love. And, and that gets back to Frankel's theme where that's really what's transformational. And, you know, there's, there's instinctual love, which is about procreation of the species, and then there's emotional love, uh, I think which Plato called a strange mental illness and Shakespeare wasn't too complimentary about that either and then there's what I like to think of as conscious love which has as its only objective the impassioned desire that the beloved fully actualize their own inherent perfection and potential independent of the consequences to the lover and I think that that's the rub, because I think when we are trying to grow, we're trying to develop in order to get something for ourselves or in order to be better off ourselves. I always think of that as developmental. It isn't transformational. And, and I'm, I'm, what I'm hearing, though, isn't necessarily disrespect for the developmental tack, but somehow an, an integration of the two and just giving them both credit for what they are. Yeah, I, I think that's a, an important comment, Ed. I, I like to think of it as imagine you're, you're climbing the ladder of life up against the wall of the challenges we need to face in order to grow and discover who we are and what we're about and actually what does have meaning for us. So, But there's two ladders against the one wall. and We have the left foot on the left ladder and the right foot on the right ladder, and one ladder's developmental and the other ladder's transformational. And, uh, and and you've got to take steps on both ladder because you, you you watch people who go into these transformational spaces they also develop commendable levels of skill and mastery so that they can translate um, and interact with the world from the transformation with skill. So yes, it's uh, you've got to do both for sure. And the, and the skill is more from the developmental, from rigor and commitment. And- Correct. Self-discipline. Yeah. You know, the transformation without, um, let's say, resiliency or maturity, which are developmental skills, can quickly devolve into magical thinking. And uh, developmental stuff without the transformational element, you know, is, is uh, dull. Correct. Yeah, you've got to do both. But I think that we, in our minds we have to understand which is which. And I think that's a really important distinction. Then you go back to meaning and say, okay, I want to be in service. Uh, but it's an old story that Raz, you used to tell, you know, when you came back from India that, you know, you'd watch the novices in the temples and uh, the, the, the chief monk or the guru would say, uh, ask them, well, you've you, you got to sweep floors. And uh, you know, they go through the space, well, if I sleep, 
if I sweep the floor better than anybody else, then I'll get on to what's really important. So that's developmental. And uh, so, so people go through that anguish or it might be cleaning toilets, whatever it is. And then at some point, they become very good at sweeping the floor and none of the things they thought should happen have happened as a result of them getting good at it. So they're getting confused. And then one day, they're just sweeping the floor to get the floor clean. <laughs> and all the other chatter's gone away. And that's the moment of transformation. That's the moment that the, the guru comes up or the head abbot comes up and says, okay, now you get to do something else. But it's a repetition of this process until people uh, aren't doing what they're doing with what I'd call ulterior motives. And that's a transformational space, and that's when they can do it with love. There's something about just that quality of just being in the moment, being fully present, and when we're able to do that, <clears throat> the presence, the the previously mundane presence, present reveals itself to be uh, a doorway into things that we never imagined were there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's, uh, we're going to be taking a break in a couple of minutes, but Stuart, I'd, I'd really like to hear from you about you know, here we are, we're moving into a new year, and it's a big time. 2012, after all, was the year when, in fact, just a few days from now, according to the Mayans, some big, big stuff is supposed to happen. Something's supposed to end or something's going to right. begin. That's right, and they all be irrelevant in three days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, <laughs> well, Stuart, what, are, what points would you share with our audience on how to realize your dreams? Okay, happy to do that. When we come back, that'd be great. All right. Okay, terrific. Thanks. So we will be right back here on the Hoffman Connection. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. 
To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. And welcome back to the Hoffman Connection with Raz and Grossi. I'm Ed McClune, and our guest, Stuart and Stuart, you know, there's, there's there's something to be said for for. I'm uh, I'm getting a break up in audio quality. We almost get the sense that if I am really living a life that matters, if I'm really living a life that matters, it it's going to be famous or important or admirable, and. Uh, until I'm that way, then I'm kind of a schlub. You know, I'm not really on purpose. I'm not really making it. Um, can you talk a little bit about making those distinctions and truly what matters to individuals? Well, that's a social conditioning. Uh, a fellow called Kagan out of Harvard talks about three kinds of minds. He talks about the socialized mind, that being the most rudimentary level. And that's essentially people are always walking to the beat of their programming. What the messages from society have been to them, what their parents have told them, what school has told them, their professors, so on and so forth. And, oh, incidentally, if we look at the track record of success of people, it says the more successful you are in being socialized in high school, the less successful you will be in life. How about that? Wow. And the reason is because your mind gets programmed. If you're successfully socialized, then you do what society expects you to do, and you figure out how to fit in and get to be part of the crowd you think is the crowd you have to get to be part of. So if that crowd has grandiose schemes and plans and dreams and visions, then you'll go for that. So, so we don't get actually healthy leaders out of that. The next thing that Kagan talks about is what he calls the self authoring mind and so that means essentially that you're writing your own script and you're marching to the beat of your own drummer and so that's where the majority of leaders are uh, then you get to the great leaders and 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 when we say great leader not necessarily somebody leading a larger than life life but the characteristics of the self-transforming mind is that the self-transforming mind looks at the world and is aware of its own biases and filters and programming and lives in a way to dissolve that and break free of that so that choices are an expression of the authentic self, whatever that authentic self is taking on in this incarnation in some of the Eastern models. So, so if I look at people who do true transformational work, and I think of Hoffman as being that, you know, I watch people, and Hoffman gets through the the uh, socialized mind. They they get through the stuff that they were programmed by from their parents or their teachers or whomever, and and they start to look at well, what would being the author of my own life be about? And then we try to work with people, uh, but it's an ongoing process. You know, you don't get all that work done, as we all know, in a week or two, um, where you start to see your own biases and you start to discount that, and then you start to get somewhere because now you're saying, okay, I'm making this choice. 
I can see I've got some patterns around here, but but I'm in service of something greater than myself. And if, and if I watch people who are great managers, great leaders, great parents, I notice what they're able to do is create the space for other people to develop their own self-authoring mind and go on to develop their own self-transforming mind. And I, and I think that the great business leaders in the future are going to have to pay attention to this. They're going to have to embrace the idea of developing their own mind as a self-transforming mind, and they're going to have to develop environments, corporate cultures, organizational cultures, that provide a fertile ground for people to um, become self-authoring. And we see more of that now. You know, if we look at uh, some of the way communities are organized and movements like we are smarter than me and we first rather than me first, if we look at those movements, uh, that becomes about self-authoring, not just socialization. And then the next step is the self-transformation. And, and I think for people starting out the new year, is to revisit their childhood dreams, what they what they used to lie in bed at night under the covers dreaming about what they were going to do when they grew up before the programming got set in stone. I think that's a great place to start. And what they wanted to be when they grew up may be something different now because, uh, uh, you know, the world's changed and there are possibilities now that didn't exist when they were children. But I think that's where you start. And then... I think the next step is you have to learn how to get good at something. It doesn't matter what it is so much. Because I watch people get let down. They find their vision. They find their dream. They find the way they want to be of service. But they have no idea how to get good at it. So I can give you a quick example from Bali. Uh, I met a man there at the Green School uh, run by a fellow called John Hardy who was a very famous jewelry designer, sold his jewelry business, moved to Bali, has a school where they teach kids the regular curriculum plus solar engineering, hydro engineering, so on and so forth. All of the school is built of bamboo, uh, three years old or less. And some of these are five-story buildings that build a whole village of very fancy home that uh, Westerners are living in, sometimes five stories, all out of bamboo. Quite astonishing. And uh, there's a guy there who fell from fame and fortune from Seattle when uh, the housing market crashed. And he raced off to Bali, um, and he fell in love with coffee. So imagine this green school, and here's this guy looking like a wild man from the jungle, like his version of Tarzan. And he's got a spectacular Italian espresso machine, and he gets beans that are grown in some of the best green beans in the world. He's roasting them himself. And he made the best uh, cold press iced coffee I've ever tasted. His espresso was awful. And he pulls more espresso shots a week than I pull a year. And I'm pretty good at it these days. So I started talking to him, and what I realized was he didn't have a mentor. He didn't have an ability to serve an apprenticeship. He didn't have a way to calibrate his taste buds to know what the best espressos pulled in the world taste like and so in fact he didn't know how to get good at pulling great espresso shots and 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 so his his lack of knowing how to do that was letting down 
the intensity of his passion in terms of its fulfillment as a master in the field. So I, I always tell people, you know, one of the perhaps as a young person today, the most important skill you can develop is how to get good at something. And it doesn't matter so much what it is. What matters is you learn how to get good at something. So when you do find your passion, find your calling, when you when you start to get beyond your own programming, uh, you get beyond your own socialized mind, and you move against your self-authoring mind, so you can march to the tune of your own uh, band, and then you're moving into transformation. So so it's about. Uh, conscious love of something bigger than yourself, uh, then you'll know how to get good at whatever that is because I watch people get to that point and they don't know how to get good at it and then they tumble back into suffering. Right. It's a long answer to a short question. But. Well, no, but it's a, it's a really poignant one in that, in, and even in Hoffman terms, so much... Uh, the temptation is to revert back to the programmed mind and give up self-authoring, let alone examining my own biases. And, and um, where's my old template? At least that gave me some level of security. I knew Correct. how to navigate with that template. Yeah, at least, at least I knew what the outcomes were going to be. And sometimes I, I watch people prefer the uncertain, the certainty of suffering over the uncertainty of successful suffering. Yeah, that's... And it seems that sometimes our entire... Uh, materialistic way of life, our, our, maybe our economy depends on the socialized mind because we are constantly holding this or use that. Yeah. We will be acceptable and we'll be wonderful and that will make all the difference. And so shifting from that to the self-authoring mind is a huge step. Um, but the self-transforming mind is, I think, worth spending just a little bit more time on. And, uh, Stuart, uh, most of us can't, you know, imagine more than a self-authoring mind doing what, to me, that means doing what I was really here to do, fulfilling my, you know, what really lights my life up and, uh, and following my own star and all that. But the self-transforming mind, what is that? Um, my experience of people who've gotten there. Uh, and myself when I'm there, I'm not always there, is, you just, is for me I have this overwhelming sense of being in service and of trying to make things move, it's an engineering term, in the direction of goodness. So I was standing there in the jungle in the green school looking at this wild man pulling coffee shots and I thought, you know, that if I had a week with him, I could really get into the next level. When I got through it in the end of the week, he'd be pulling world-class espresso shots. And, and what was that about? I mean, it's not going to bring world peace and end world hunger. <laughs> but but it would have been enough. You know, I could have invested enough meaning in that for me to be happy. He would have been joyful. And a couple of thousand people here would be going through there drinking really good espresso. And that's not grandiose, but you know, it's the spirit of what we're talking about. I, I think when you know you've made tomorrow better than yesterday was for other people, and you're supporting other people in the pursuit of something they love to do, and this guy 
in the jungle pulling espresso shots. He didn't have grandiose dreams. He was doing the best. He knew how to discover this unexpected love he found for coffee. And and, and, and we keep talking about coffee. I mean, but I, I talked to a guy called Mitch, who, who's one of the founders of what they call a specialty coffee association in America and one of the sources of how we got to have really great coffee, which you actually rarely get in Italy. The average street quality of espresso in Italy is, is abysmal. And Mitch, in his shop down in Malibu, in his tie-dyed shirt, he looked like an escapee from Esalon in the 60s, <laughs> he starts talking to me about his inner experience of the state of bliss he enters into when he watches the first droplets of espresso appear in the bottom of the bottomless porter filter and then the little sprays join into a stream that descend in an espresso cup and you smell the aroma and he gives it to somebody who knows the difference and he watches them go, oh my God, and that's why we call it a God shot. <laughs> now, now, and I, I deliberately talk about things like this because you can't make it too significant. But at the same time, it's the perfect expression and embodiment of what it's about because in that moment, Mitch is in a self-transforming mind state. He's in a state of bliss. And I think that's how we were intended to live. And I think that's what Joe Campbell was talking about when he said what people want really is a great experience of being alive. And I think it's not until we enter into that great experience of of being established in the transforming consciousness of love, you know, because it's a state of consciousness, not a verb. And uh, from that place, we can serve, and uh, then it's all different. And the and the other thing I notice is, you know, I hear all these conversations about uh, what are we going to do to save the planet. And I see a lot of people approaching it from the thou shalt not point of view. You, you mustn't do this, you mustn't do that, you must have less of this, you must have less of that. It was refreshing to be at the green school where they're talking about what you can do, not what you shouldn't do. And then in addition to that, I realized that um, the, the only path to sustainability is to trade complexity for quantity. Now, this is a pretty heady kind of abstraction. But if you, Raz, I know that you and I have enjoyed more than the odd bottle of really good wine. True. True. And the difference between really good wine and what used to be known as two-buck chuck, but I understand that's now four bucks at Trader Joe's, is that great wine has what we call more complexity. A great shot of espresso has more complexity than the dark, over-roasted, strident notes of a shot of espresso at Starbucks. Uh, so, if you go to something like the French Laundry, Raz, and you have experience of that too, they serve maybe seven or eight courses, and they're all tiny. And if you talk to Thomas about it, he'll say, well... You know, the, the, the most exhilarating experience you have with food is when you take the first few bites. And that's when you can detect the palate is fresh, it's clean, you can detect the complexities and the variations and the subtleties and the balance of sugar and, and uh, or sweet as they call it, and spice 
and salt and, and sour as four primary things that great cooks, great chefs balance. And he said, so if I serve huge portions and you plow through them, it's not very long before you lose all sense of that and you just end up overeating. And, you know, when people eat food that's not complex, they try to eat more of it in order to get satisfaction. So, you know, people want to be supersized. But what we notice is if, if, if something is more complex, people are overjoyed and more than satisfied with much less of something than if it wasn't complex. I think this is a really, really, really important idea. And, and also, you know, Raz at Est, we used to talk to people about, well, you don't experience your experience. And I watch people, they don't experience their food. They're busy talking, looking at their mobile phone, trying to track Facebook announcements and all that other nonsense. And in the midst of that, they have no experience of what they're in the process of actually doing or being with. Well, we certainly see a lot of people, you know, walking down the streets. Uh, I, I see, it's been striking me lately that I see parents, especially I see young mothers often, who are walking a child out in their, you know, little walker or something like that. And they're on a cell phone talking to someone else. They're not even being with the child while they're being with the child. And uh, we all seen uh, the classic thing about teenagers who are sitting uh, in a row and they're texting each other rather than just talking to each other when they're right there. So there's a way in which the um, contemporary society is removing us from one another instead of bringing us closer together. And I Correct. think that, that we have to find ourselves first, find our own self, and then that self naturally reaches out and connects to others. And we have certainly found that in all the transformational work over the years. And and, and Hoffman, you know, it's a big discovery for people to to recognize that as they learn to love themselves, they naturally and spontaneously are connected to and love other people, even if they don't know the other person's story. They're just connected. And so um, I think that's a transformation. And sometimes this complexity... You know, it's like in Robert Kagan's model, um, it goes with the you know increasing complexity, but the human mind starts getting simpler after about the age of fifty, not more complex, and and wisdom begins to emerge. There's something also about simplicity, and you know, in the Zen notion of simplicity, and penetrating through <laughs> the essence of something. Well, and they would argue right, that uh, the simplicity has reached after the integration of, of enormous complexity because it now becomes effortless and it's just a, a continuum of subtlety which isn't seen as a series of separate uh, distinctions. Right. I think we have a break, our last I, break of the day. We blew through it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, let's go to break and we'll have our last segment here with Stuart on the Hoffman Connection. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. And welcome back to the Hoffman Connection. And before we continue our visit with Stuart Emery, uh, Raz, you know, the, um, you're the founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation, and this is our sharing season. I think it would probably be a good time for you to make mention of what our goals are this year. Yeah, well, we do have some uh, important goals for our foundation, and this is where we do fundraising for our nonprofit work. And want to encourage everybody who's done the Hoffman process to respond to the emails then the letters that we've been sending out, and take a moment to help make someone else's life better. Uh, when you give to Hoffman, you're supporting our scholarship fund and expanding the diversity of people who can participate in the program and find that place in their heart where life springs forth and um, where we're connected to each other. And magnificence is our, you know, uh, happens to us every day. So I want to encourage you to think kindly of the Hoffman Institute. <laughs> Make it a giving priority for your uh, for your end of the year, and uh, as you're managing your, you know, you know, a lot of people are thinking this time of the year about their t- tax deductions that they want to get in before the year ends, and we're a great way to solve that problem if it, if you have a problem. <laughs> so, That's a great line, Raz. Yeah, yeah thinking, want to encourage you to, uh, to to see us as a, as a giving priority and help help make life better for other people. Thanks, Eddie. The information's all on HoffmanInstitute.org. Right. Um, Stuart, you know, you were talking and using the, the coffee analogy or even the fine wine or, or good food. And sometimes I've said uh, to students, you know, we all have taste buds, but so much of our time we don't actually taste our food. And just right. like that, we have consciousness. We have consciousness of love. We have uh, a spiritual experience or a spiritual faculty that we're not necessarily noticing in our day-to-day life. And it seems like what what you're talking about, it, whether, whether you're using the example of the, you know, the self-authoring mind, the transforming mind is, or what's meaningful is that if I'm, present to myself and my life experience that meaning doesn't have to be the 
um, fulfillment of a big vision, but rather something much more um, holistic. Yeah, it's a quiet thing a lot of the time. I mean, some of us like to play big games. I personally don't anymore, you know. I think they're personal choices. Um, the other thing I noticed recently when you talk about learning to get good at things, I have noticed, and I've been talking to other people who have become masterful at doing something, that at some point in your, in your process between uh, self-authoring and, and, and self-transforming, you get to a place where you can experience transmission and learning. Uh, so just so we talk about transmission from the guru to the um, successor, I, I see this happen in learning where people are looking to master an art or a piece of music They'll have gotten far along in their own process that in the presence of a master, they'll be able to do something in the next moment that they couldn't do in the last moment. And, and it will be a non, uh, it won't be a progression, it'll be this transformational leap. And it's an amazing thing to see and experience, but I see that happening now. And so I see that as a good sign of quickening. So if people do the work. You'll get surprised that things open up that defy all reasonable logic, but it happens. Yeah. So it just coming back to some kind of practicality with this, and I could listen to you and, and have conversation with you probably until we both drop dead, Stuart, but um, it, how much time does one spend in a day-to-day life, kind of practically, just watching my own biases or my own bias or um, but I think, it's all, I think it's all going on what I call contemporaneously hmm. so so uh, I, people I think first you the most important thing people have got to do is keep the company of people who are committed to this process of progressing from the socialized mind to the self-authority mind to, to personal transformation to keep the company of people who are committed to getting good at something and who are up to something beyond themselves and their own self-gratification and they're up to moving things in the director of goodness and, and that they have an openness and, and, and commit yourself to being the kind of person around whom other people like themselves best. So I think you make those commitments. And once you make the commitment and ask yourself at the end of every day, did you do the best you could, I think you'll find that you're moving along. I think once people start on the journey, they make their own luck, but they've got to make, they've got to start on the journey. I, I love, somebody once asked Baba Muktananda, uh, they said, you know, am I doing something wrong? I've been meditating for five years and it hasn't made me happy. And Baba said, you know, meditation is already difficult enough without also demanding that it make you happy. <laughs> so, so that person had a developmental approach to, <laughs> to meditation. Trans- Baba was suggesting the transformational approach where you meditate without demanding anything of it. To contemplate where you hold something, a question or an idea in mind without a demand for a specific outcome. And then magic happens. Then it's transformational. I can hear that music happening in the background, and that means that we're going to be signing off. So Ed and I and Stuart, we all want to wish everyone the best of the holiday season and a wonderful new year. 
Uh, we will have another show next week, but it will be one of the ones we've broadcast before. So this is our last live show of the year. All right. Well, happy, happy holidays, and have a great new year, everybody. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Stuart. It's Thank great you. to have you here. Thanks for joining always. us again. Yes. Ha- happy New Year, Raz. Happy holidays. Same to you, Ed. Thank you, Ed. Bye-bye. Thank you again for being a part of the Hoffman Connection. Please join your hosts, Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon, again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, make it an outstanding week.